Okay, welcome back or welcome to the Finding Mastery podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Gervais, by trade and training, a high performance psychologist. And welcome to part two of our conversation with Vice Admiral John Muston. If you missed part one of the conversation, I strongly recommend you go back and check that one out first. It's the episode immediately preceding this one in your feed. And with that, let's jump right back into part two of our conversation with Vice Admiral John Muston, CNR, Chief of Navy Reserve. Limitations. So what are some of the limits or limitations that you see that people bump into? And these are barriers, and I'm more interested in the internal barriers mm-hmm. that people run up against that um, get in the way of them living their best life. Yeah. You know, being able to really fill in or f- uh, pour into to the mission uh, that, the, that, that they're working on. So what are some of those limitations? The older I've gotten, the more I've seen the importance for the balance between mental, physical, and spiritual wellness. No, no question. And what I used to be able to get away with as a younger man was to eat terribly, exercise vigorously, and pull all-nighters and you know, celebrate with a cup of coffee in the morning for breakfast kind of thing. And you know, my famous line was, I can sleep when I'm dead. And what I'm finding now, though, is I am not as cognitively sound if I don't get the right amount of sleep, I don't have the energy to perform like I know I need to if I don't exercise. And so as a result, you know, what, I, what I'm doing now is incorporating a far more rigorous and healthy approach to diet, to exercise. I mean, I, I look forward to exercising to the point where we were talking on the break. You know, I get up pretty early. I get up at 3.30 to meet a friend at 4 so we can exercise together. We'll lift and do some cardio between 4 and 5.30 which then allows me to get a little bit of breakfast and then get myself to the office by about 7.30. And so when you say, what are the limitations? I'd say as I've aged, I've seen some differences there. Some of it is just how much energy do you have? You know, the energy management is critical. And then cognitive function is impacted by everything else I just described. And then the spiritual piece, you know, everybody can interpret spirituality differently, but, but having some time to either meditate or breathe or think or, you know, atone um, is important because anything that I find allows your brain to kind of shift gears a little bit from rigorous uh, analytical behavior to thoughtful, quiet thinking, you know, I think that's a great unlock. And so I, I don't know that I can apply that to 60,000 people necessarily, but but I've sure seen it myself as I've aged over time. I love that. So if I, just to kind of play it back, the most significant limiter that you've experienced in your life is available energy, yeah. internal energy, like that volition, that that um, kind of raw power to solve things, to do things. Right. That that if you don't take care of that, that there's a um, there's just a limitation. Absolutely. Way, and yeah. Another example, uh, peripherally related but still germane, was you know I used to do a lot of running, and and over the span of two years. I broke each of my ankles in almost the same place. What kind of running? I, I know. Yeah. Like, I wish there was a good story. I mean, right? I, I was running along a river and and the tiles shifted, oh and which God. rolled my ankle. So uh, in one of my ankles, I've got a synthetic ligament now. But um, but after a couple of surgeries and, you know, I remember saying to the doctor as I was coming out of surgery, how long before I can run again? 
And he said, oh, you know, you should take your time on this, probably take about eight weeks. And at eight weeks, I mean, I said, eight, day one of week eight, I will be running. And, um, and it was excruciating. And I said, I'm not ready yet. But as a result, what I found was, I mean, it took me about six months before I could really run. And, and I went from 30 miles a week to, you know, five or something, which was not satisfying. And, and at that point, I was doing a lot of cardio and not much else. So, so since then, I've learned, hey, at my age, I should be doing more strength and weight training too. So, so anyway, but it was really insight or enlightening to me that I recognized without being able to run, I don't feel the same. I'm, I'm not as energetic. I'm not as excited. I'm not as – it impacted my optimism. You know, I felt like damaged goods almost. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to let this slip. Okay. All the reverence I have for you. <laughs> a 3.30 a.m. wake up. That's early. Yeah. Okay. And so it might fit your chronotype and your the way that you're genetically wired for it to be an early riser. Tell me the amount of sleep you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when I started tracking it, yeah, it, it was abysmally bad. I mean, it was like between four. How were you tracking? Self report um, or you? Were well, using at the first I was uh, had like a Fitbit and I mm -hmm. was uh, tracking that way. So now I, I don't wear a Fitbit. I just look at my clock and say, "All right, I know this is going to be five hours." So I'm not looking at the quality of sleep necessarily. Okay. Although I, I had done that for a number of years, I, I just can't wear that now because of our job. We can't have uh, kind of Bluetooth things on us. So anyway, uh, but I'm I'm looking at at least the span of time. Wait, I'm wait, trying wait, to get wait, to wait, seven. You can't have Bluetooth because is that a cyber threat? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to know about this. Like, so is it like, could I be hacked? Oh, if, if there's anything that you know of that's digital. Easily hacked. It can be hacked. Yeah. Easily hacked. Yeah. So if I'm wearing a ring that has like. I mean, I don't know what get someone in, would do. So with that would that get into the necessarily. Phone, right? I mean, yeah. I'm not that interested, <clears> but they could get into the phone and get into whatever yeah, the, I mean, the phone this, holds. I, I'm, that, I'm not a hacker, but I would say, like, for my for my kids, um, hey, if you've got TikTok on your phone, your phone is on my network. And then what is available as things become vectors to other things? So anyway. That, okay, so go back to the sleep for you. Right, right. So I want to get to seven, which is my goal. I'm usually getting about six or five and a half, but, but I know that's bad. So before you chastise me, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, I know this. In, before shame in, is, a, is a, now a new because weapon I've in our arsenal. huge strides with nutrition mm. and exercise. So the sleep is the one where I'm saying I've identified it as the laggard in this three-legged stool that I want to get better on. Are you using physical training for physical health and or mental health? And or which one would you... You're saying yes to both. Yes, right? absolutely. And which one would you say is more interesting to you? The, the mental, psychological benefits or the physical? Mental first. But I have to admit, I mean, when I couldn't run, I gained weight. And I thought to myself, I, I don't like being heavy or out of, that's out right. of shape. Yeah. But I love my workouts in the morning because that's when I can have some uninterrupted time. And that's just it's uh, cool. Like I, I don't cognitive. I, I don't uh, want to do yeah. what um, Descartes did and try to pull the mind and body apart. Right. Like I'm not yeah. trying to do that. But I, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, is it more for the mental or and or physical? And it, of course, it's both. Okay, both. But I would tell you, the physical uh, I value, but the mental I I couldn't live without. Okay, no one does it alone, and I want to share a couple sponsors that are making this show possible. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. 
And that's why I've been loving Bub's Naturals. Bub's creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their Hydrate or Die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste. No added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and, and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to bubsnaturals.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubsnaturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash findingmastery with the code findingmastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction (ED), hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why Hims has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online, and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if you or a loved one has been struggling with ED, I really want to encourage you to go check out Hims. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash finding mastery. That's hymns, H-I-M-S dot com slash finding mastery for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash finding mastery. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. And now back to the conversation. And when it comes to nutrition, um, it sounds like you're learned in all of these forms of well-being and taking care of yourself for longevity, for high performance, for lifespan, for high performance. Are you... Um, are you doing intermittent fasting? Are you not interested? You're not interested. I, I, in that. I dabbled in it. It didn't. Okay. It didn't do anything for me. And and then okay, so you've upgraded on nutrition. You've upgraded mm -hmm. on movement, and you have not quite upgraded to the level to the standard. Let's say right. self-imposed standard of would we call it eight hours? No. I, I'd love to. I, that's what. That's at what some I'm, point. I'm like, I'm really good at like seven four seven point four five. It's okay. kind of where I'm trending right now where I'm getting that right ratio between deep and REM. And yeah. my game is not necessarily carving out. I am disciplined in competing my ass off to, to get somewhere between eight and seven hours every night. Like I'm competing my ass off. Yeah. And my family is to, to do that. So it's a full-time job to try to figure this thing out. 
But I know if I don't do that and I don't play some of the right notes in the day, my deep sleep is like Suffers. so suspect. Yeah. And so I've got to play the right notes to get that right symphony at the at at night. But so so your is your first priority to try to go from six to six and a half? Yes. In fact, I, I was even looking forward to this conversation so I could ask you. Yeah, let's go. Because if I had to give up something, is it more valuable to sleep the extra two hours or to get the workout in? Yeah, I don't know how to pull them apart yeah. either. I, I think that um if we played, if we did like a uh we're on a strike mission and we've got a you know a five-day strike mission and it's on, I can go without sleep. Right, right. Short um, duration. Yeah. Right in a short duration. I'm okay, but I'm compromised. I am compromised towards the end of that. Definitely. But I need to come in fit. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've got yeah. it, my my system has to be tuned well for me to drain it in that type of like compromised sleep state for for a five week or five day period right and when we go away now let's extend it out to a handful of weeks and then i'll extend it out for like a lifetime okay so if we're going to do when we do a high performance camp at the olympics or pro camp and like it's on for three weeks and we're in a different part of the world and we're eating food that's not normally our right. food and maybe we're having to ship some of it in or we've got a chef on board that's helping us dial in our nutrition or we're piecemealing it if we're on a budget uh, piecemealing it to our best abilities. So you've got sleep, um, physical movement, you've got uh, nutrition, and then you've got psychological fitness, if you will. Okay, so let's think about those four. We'll put spiritual as an asterisk right now. Mm. It's actually more of a, um, it's an underpinning of the whole thing, is spiritual. Okay, right. but l let's just talk about those four dials for a minute, is that I think we need to get two out of four right just to be included. Right. Three out of four, right, to be in striking distance of high performance. Four out of four, right, to be playful with your craft. Awesome. Okay, so two is a baseline. Three is what we're looking for. And and you can play with it. Like, it doesn't necessarily yeah. matter. Okay, and if we get four out of four, we're winning, like for sure. All that being said, if you were to press me now and say, which one is most significant for you? I go, okay, I got to do the complicated thing that they're all connected. And then I say, sleep. Sleep is really? ground zero. Really? Yep. And then I say, listen, if, if I'm sleeping right and I'm not fueling it properly, why, why would I do the, the movement on top right. of it? Because movement is a drain. So I'm sleeping right to fill up my bucket. And then fitness is like I'm draining the bucket. And if I'm not feeding it properly, like now I'm in a compromised state. Yeah. Okay. Now- all that being said is that when you get your thinking dialed in, and I don't mean like intelligence, I mean the ability to be optimistic in a face of challenge, the ability to be calm and not burn through resources unnecessarily, mm -hmm. the ability to be grounded and be where your feet are in any environment, that is so less expensive when you operate from that type of position inside of yourself that now we're winning at another level because I don't maybe need as much sleep. Okay, so the sleep studies keep coming back seven to eight hours of sleep on average for the majority of people. And I think that that would also assume that the majority of people are not getting psychological skills training. So they're uh, expensive to operate because they're anxious, they're nervous, they're frustrated, they're fatigued. They're, that's an expensive operating system. I think we could change that model. And I know that I'm dealing with 
millions of years old operating system, our brain. But I do think we could upgrade it in a way if the data pool in, let's call it 10 years or five years from now, of those people had a real investment in psychological skills, a small investment in nutrition, I don't think we need eight hours of sleep on average. I think sure. we can get, and I know I, I'm being, um, I can hear I can hear all of my research friends right now going, are you kidding me right now? You're not going to change the brain in that kind of short amount of time. <laughs> but the, the, the subject pool yeah. was deft in like, it was it was wanting when it comes to psychological skills operations, which is an efficient way to go through the world. Yeah. No, thank you for that. And that's uh, that is perfect context. Uh, I've wrestled with this one often saying, OK, I, I'm struggling to find the time because I don't want to go to bed at eight o'clock at night. You know, generally, by the time I get home from work, that gives me enough time to have dinner and then work a little more before I go to bed. So this is a passion problem for you? Like you love what you're doing? Or is this like you can't quite turn it down? Well, I don't see you as being disorganized. I no, don't see no, no, you as I'm being pretty, undisciplined. I'm pretty organized. Yeah, um, right. pretty disciplined, I think. So it, it's interesting that in my case, I, I'm referred to as a geographic bachelor. Have you ever heard this term? Before? No. Okay. So, so my family's in New York City. Okay. But I'm down in D.C. working at the Pentagon. So, so I try on weekends when I'm not traveling for work, I'll go home. And that's when I get to spend time with my wife and kids. You know, we FaceTime every night. But as a result of being down in D.C. by myself, it just fuels my being a total workaholic. Oh, my God. I so, I've never heard this. I completely relate to this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so, when I'm away, what else am I doing? Right on. And, and yeah. so, like, I kind of like it. I, I am amazingly effective. I mean, I, I said to, at yeah. one point to my staff, I was relatively new in the job, and I'll always take work home. I mean, the other thing that I recognize is if I come in really early, they'll all come in earlier. And if I stay really late, they'll all stay. So even when I said, hey, guys, I'm just going to stay here and do some reading. You all go home. No one wants to leave. They won't. Boss is here. So, so I try to leave at a decent hour, between like 5 and 6, I would say. And then and, you and, send emails at 11 p.m. But I always say... <laughs> Tomorrow, please make sure you address this. I, I'm not trying to get people to work around the clock. Okay. And I will tell them, just because I'm a workaholic doesn't mean that I'm encouraging that behavior in you. Uh, Do you want this this pattern for if your child is passionate about something, would you want this behavior, this pattern of behavior? If it made them happy, absolutely. Are, are you happy? I am. You are happy. I, are you I living am the good excited. life? When I wake up every day, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. Is I, that the good life for you? It is. I mean, so I, I can't believe I'm excited. getting a paycheck to do this. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, honestly, it's, really? uh, I mean, I am so humbled and honored to do this job. I mean, it, it really is amazing to me. And I think I want to earn it. Are you I saying that because day. you're supposed to, or you really feel it? I feel it actually, but I just want to make sure I'm not oh like, God, you're not no. selling me something here. No, no, no. I no mean, honestly, in fact, I love what I do. My wife is the hero in the story though, because when I was nominated to take this job, I said, Honey, you're not going to believe this. I just got a call from the chief of naval operations, and you're never going to guess what he said. He asked me if I wanted to take this job. And she goes, I think you're the only person who didn't know this call was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so good. No, but anyway, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I said, well, we should talk about this because it's a four-year job, and it means that we're moving to D.C. And she says, um, well, the kids are pretty happy in their school here, and <laughs> my job is in Manhattan. Um, so, you know, you can do this. Let me know what your hotel room uh, yeah, or your, exactly. your apartment. I, mean, I, I have uh, yeah. wonderful quarters oh, that are yeah. that are uh, that are part of the job. But anyway, I always say, 
she let me do this because this puts tremendous burden on her. I used to walk the kids to school. I would take them to sports. I would participate in all the PTA meetings, none of which I do now. Can you can we talk about that partnership for a minute? Absolutely. Are you okay to talk yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, family is like I didn't I didn't have this awareness maybe even like seven years ago. And I'll tell you why I'm marking that note or that year. But what people would ask me my whole career, what what are the most common traits of the best in the world? And and you know, scientifically, I would say we can't, we don't know, right? And I would, now like when I I feel like maybe I'm an old person at the table, but I push my ta- my chair back, and I can see the playing field easier. Partnerships are a huge part of it. And that the support that they have from that environment, and sometimes those environments are chaotic and sometimes they're loving and kind and they come in all different flavors, but there's something about that partnership at home outside of the operating environment that is foundational. Absolutely. And so like what, what is every, every relationship I've ever encountered has different flares and tones to it. Like what is yours like with your wife? Well, so we have our, we celebrate our 30th anniversary in Three weeks. So, um, so we've been doing this for a while. Um, we have three kids. Very cool. Oldest is thirteen. We have twins that are eleven. So, if you do that math, we obviously waited for a long time. Uh, same, before we we have kids. the same path. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. have the same. I we mean, did thirty-five fact, years. So, my wife's yep. name is Kim. Kim has said to our friends, "The most irresponsible thing we've ever done is have twins at forty-four. Um, so, <laughs> it, but it keeps us young. Uh, there's no question. <laughs> but anyway, so when you say, "What does it look like?" I mean. She is my best friend. You know, she is clearly someone who is my consigliere and confidant. You know, I don't go to her and say, you know, how do you think I should respond to what Russia just did? But but I do certainly talk <laughs> right, about, right. you know, yeah. we live and breathe in online calendars. And, you know, I mean, I'm traveling 20 days a month and I'm trying to get to meet up with her and the kids wherever they may be, whether it's for soccer tournaments or basketball tournaments often. So, you know, we're... We're both busy, but um, but I look forward to our you know ten minute FaceTime every day. That that is both a source of rejuvenation and um, and encouragement. But you know I keep coming back to if she said this is too hard, I would stop doing this immediately. How do you support her? Like, what are the ways? Because it, I don't know what her profession is, and she yeah, might she be the world's in, best in, in yeah, whatever she's doing. Wealth or, management. Yeah. Is she okay? Yeah. She is in wealth management. She is, which world, is a, world's best. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, like, so how do you support her in that? I, I mean, right now I'm an absentee husband and father. So failing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, and there's there's guilt there. I there, mean, if, yeah, I I, um, I see it and I feel it. So. So I'm in my own life. I would say the way that I support her is when I retire from this job, I will make it so worth her while. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I love hearing this definitely. because you know, so just the other night we're at dinner with my a couple friends and they, they were, t- we're talking about our like next phases or whatever. Right. And my son is 14 heading into high school. So we've got four years until like he's, you know, he's got plans for college. And you know, so we got four years together as a unit. And, um, Somebody asked, like, so what's next? And I go, I flat out want to make sure that Lisa decides, my wife decides, like, the next phase. And I would bet that she wants to live in New York City, in Manhattan. Yeah, how about okay. it? Right? And, and that's, okay. where, that's where your wife is, right? 
and that or where she's working. Yeah. And so I think yeah. in in the future that's where I'm operating from, which is going to be really hard for me. I love. Okay. I want to live by an ocean on a mountain or um, a, a running river. And so, and she's like, I want the concrete. I want big city. I want that energy. So, so now's by my the, turn. By the time you move, yeah. uh, I will retire from this job and we're in Tribeca. And um, well, that's where she wants to go. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, keep me on the speed dial. Yeah, good. I, okay, good. I'll that's show you fun. where, I'll show you where I broke each of my ankles running down the Hudson <laughs> yeah. River. Oh my God. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so good. All right, good. So, all right. So let's go, let's take a one extension. Um, or actually, let's finish this up. Like, yeah. what would you hope? young people listening um, that are in their marriage right now, or maybe they're mm -hmm. not even young, that you would say, listen, I've learned about being a good partner. I hope that you will do A, B, and C to yeah. be a great partner. Yeah. Are there any specific things that you're doing to be a great I, partner? I mean, absolutely. One is choose your battles. I mean, Kim and I determined early on. It's funny coming from you. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is funny. There, but we said there are some things that she's going to own and I trust her. And there are some things that I'm going to own and she's going to trust me. And the idea there is I don't need her telling me how to install the cable or get the network working, and I'm not going to give her critiques on the laundry, you know. And so she says, if it's mechanical or electrical or trash, it's you. If it's uh, nesting, home design, decor, or food, it's her. So, you know, dividing and conquering is something that, that we agreed to. If she were telling you the story, she would say that it was born from an occasion when she was working very hard and I was in grad school. And she would come home after a hard day's work, and I would have been back from an early morning workout with a couple of SEAL buddies, a couple hours of class, 18 holes of golf, four people at our house drinking a bunch of beer. And she'd come in saying, I'm exhausted. And we go, okay, well, what's for dinner? You know, and she's like, all right. Yeah. You're, you're we we got to have you're, a talk here. Yeah. That's a battle. Yes. Okay, yes. Right. So anyway, yeah. back to yeah. uh, talking to young couples, I would say, first, figure out what you both love kind of deconflict them. You know, each of you should own something. And maybe there are things you like doing together. If you like to cook together at the end of the day, that's great. It could be romantic. But but still, figure out what you want to be responsible for so that you can lighten the load for the other person. Check in, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. You know, I, I've learned not to leap to solutions if and when I'm hearing of something that is uh, either annoying or conflicting her. So, you know, under, being a good listener is great for men. Um, and and then at the end of the day, I would say we always viewed it as we're a team. Even before we got married, you know, I, I remember saying to her, I feel so much better about myself when I'm with you. I'm going to pause the conversation here for just a few minutes to talk about our sponsors. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Apollo Neuro. I am really excited about what Apollo Neuro is building. If you haven't had the chance yet, I highly recommend that you go check out the conversation I had with our co-founder, Dr. David Rabin, on the podcast. It is well worth a listen. Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo is doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations. They call them Apollo vibes that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus, while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real world trials. 
I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery and use the code findingmastery at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's Apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O, Apollo Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery or use the code findingmastery at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Cured. If there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness, one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep. Whether it be improved physical health, mental health, performance, creativity, quality sleep is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist, and it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. They recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, because you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash findingmastery and you use the code findingmastery at checkout. That's Cured, C-U-R-E-D, Cured, nutrition.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout to save 20%. And with that, let's jump right back into our conversation. Okay, team. I, I, you build teams, right? Right, and you're building teams in um, with constraints and with resources. Like uniquely, everybody has constraints and resources. And I, 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 I spend a lot of time thinking about teams as well. And I'm just in this place, like, you know how, like, early, early on in some ideation or, or. Um, maybe in your career, you're like, I get it. And then you get into that messy middle, you're like, I don't get it. And then it's supposed to get simple again. And I feel like, I don't know where exactly I am, but I'm tired of talking about teams right now. And, um, <laughs> and because I'm much more interested in talking about team mating, being a teammate. And Perfect. like, I'm far more interested in that than this concept of what a great team is. Like, I want to know yeah. about yeah. How can people be great teammates? How can I be a great teammate? And how can they be great teammates? And now we have can a team. I, it's like, can I throw some raw meat your way? Cause yeah. this is the softball down the middle for you. So my 13 year old is, uh, is very athletic and she starts high school also. So she'll be in ninth grade next year, but, um, has always excelled in soccer and basketball. And one of her coaches said, if she wants to be a D one player. She'll be a D one player. The conversations I've had with her though, and, and I mean, this is right up your alley. I'm eager to hear this feedback was I, I've said uh, her name is Morgan. I hope I'm not embarrassing her here, but what's but up, I, Morgan? Uh, yeah, I know. but I've said, Morgan, you're a gifted athlete. The difference between great athletes and others 
is there are many gifted athletes, but gifted athletes who train hard and commit to the sport are the ones that you hear about. And, and the reason I say that is because I question sometimes her commitment. She's always gotten away with it. She's always been the best one on the team. And yet I'm saying you're getting to the age now where you're going to get left in the dust with people who are going to work harder than you. And so one other comment, again, and this is all uh, where I'm dying to hear your feedback, was you're also at the point where your individual contribution is less valuable than your ability to make the team better. So if you had 38 points, that's great, but you lost. I'd rather you score 20 and win. So trying to teach her again how to be a leader on the course or on the court and off the court and to say your outcome driver, not not your metric of success as points or time minutes played. The outcome is did you win or not? And that's the team contribution. So anyway, back to you. Julie Foudy, three-time Olympic medalist uh, in women's soccer. She says on the world stage, everybody is working hard. Right. That's a prerequisite but you're measured on how well you make others better when you're part of the system versus right. not part of the system. Yeah. Matter of fact, the one the women's US women's Olympic volleyball team, I was part of the the team that went to Rio. And we took a member, Courtney Thompson, who on paper technically maybe wasn't wasn't going to make it. Okay, her technical skill on paper she was not going to be selected to make one of the 12 uh, that we took. However, she made, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher the exact number, she made everybody else when she was around 2 to 3% better. Yeah. Yeah. It's like points against replacement player, right? That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's a massive, like, I'm so much more interested in how can I be a great teammate? I want to be part of a team. I want to help other people have a great team. But the substrate of that is being a teammate. Mm-hmm. And if you're anxious, mm-hmm. fatigued, frustrated, overwhelmed, you're going to try to take care of yourself. You can't give yeah. anything. What you're giving is that, as we mentioned earlier. So I'm so much more interested in like creating the psychological skills for people to be buoyant enough. They've got their life vest on so they can reach out and grab and help and support and challenge in the right way to meet that person in just the right way that they need it. So like what, what insights do you have about people being great teammates? Are there any practices that you help you know, go through. I mean, it's, it's similar to your experiences and what you just described. I mean, I, I've always subscribed to the approach of, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan. So I always thought, look, the, the Yankees will buy all-stars in every position. Do you like being a Red Sox fan? <laughs> I do. You do? <laughs> you do? And Patriots. Yes. Yeah. And Celtics. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Go Seahawks. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Go no, Dodgers. Yeah. So my- Pete Carroll my, was a Patriots. Come yeah, on. My, um, he was. Um, my grandfather, like I can see him, uh, he, he served- in the military as well. And he had, um, he was a, a, just a Red Sox hats everywhere he oh, went. Yeah. So like, yeah. so we've got the kinship there. Well, it's funny. Okay. I, like our kids in, in our entryway, which I hope you see soon, we've got a photo of our kids just decked head to toe in socks gear. And so our friends walk in from Manhattan and go, what do you want your kids Red to get beaten up? Yeah, yeah we're, what are we doing? Um, no, that's good. Okay. But anyway, but back to the yeah. philosophy, you know, the, the idea was, hey, do you want the the 11 best players or do you want the best 11 players? And so, I mean, that's what you're getting at. And that's, that's what drives me too, is I always say, if I'm evaluating the productivity or the outcome, not, not output, I mean, I view output as activity metrics. I'm more about outcomes, like what difference does it make? And so I just evaluate this. I mean, there's not a framework for it, but, but I'm watching to see who, who's the all-star diva 
whose chemistry is terrible that degrades the performance of the team as opposed to the person, as you mentioned. I go, I feel like I can train anybody with the skills to be successful on a staff, but the chemistry check is the critical enabler. Like that's what I'm looking for. How do you hire for that? Or how I do mean, you select I'll, I'll tell you, that? I mean, we just, I'm a staff member that I just finished interviews with and I hired the person based on the quality of the interview. And, and our interviews are probably a little different than some of your interviews, but I've hired a lot of folks in my civilian job too. But, you know, I always say, I call it the chemistry check. I'm looking for enthusiasm, optimism. Do they look you in the eye? Do they speak with clarity? Do they have a sense of purpose? Not, hey, check out my resume. I did everything you're asking. And of course I can do whatever right, it is. Right. Like I'm a winner. Yeah. Right. I mean, my, my, and the other thing that I do. Do they show up like that sometimes? Oh, like that type of oh, yeah. arrogant? But yeah. And the other thing that I will always do is in my front office staff, I'll have each of them weigh in on this because people come in and they're waiting. And then I'll say, hey, uh, did you talk to them? And what'd they say? And, and if they're either, you know, too busy looking down at their phone or they're not engaging with the people, you know, that's a, that's a message. Uh, the ones who say, I'm really thrilled to be here. Hey, by the way, what should I know about the boss? Anything that he's going to ask me that I should know about? You know, I mean, that's a degree of interest that is uh, an indicator for me too. So lots of tools, none of which are unique, but, uh, but it's the whole person multiple there. So the insights that you've learned from military, both on leadership, building teams via teammating, and that, 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 how has that served you in your civilian life? Because you've yeah. built some companies. Absolutely. You're, you're, yeah. You've got an entrepreneurial background. Of course. Yeah. And so how do, how do some of those skills translate over and also speak to like the reservist life a little bit? Oh, yeah. Thanks for teeing that one up. So, so first, the military training was definitely applicable to leadership roles. I mean, I've been a C-suite uh, executive in many occasions, CEO. I own a company that I founded. Um, so, so the idea of establishing a vision, you know, creating the enabling mechanisms to allow folks to perform, setting the expectations for performance. I mean, those are all standard kind of military treat uh, um, approaches that are directly applicable in a civilian sector too. Doesn't matter if you're wearing a uniform or a suit. I would say going in the other direction has been more enlightening because most of my peers, particularly as a vice admiral, are not reserve officers. In fact, there's only one three-star reserve officer. That's me. So the rest are career naval officers. My peers have all been in the Navy for 34 to 38 years, and that's what they do. So I'm not throwing shade on them, but they've never had to hire 24-year-olds that are choosing between you and Amazon and Google. You know, they, they've not kept up with the pace of technology and some of the things that, that I walked in the door saying, why aren't we doing this? The rest of the world operates this way, and yet we're etching stuff on stone tablets and flying things with carrier pigeons. You know, it's 2023. We need to get with the program. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had been brought up using the tools that are available. So, so in some ways, I've been an effective change agent um, via tasking. I mean, I had this conversation with my boss, the chief of naval operations, saying, I'd like the opportunity to demonstrate this transformation. And you can view the Navy reserves as a black box. You know, this will be the pilot test. And if I'm confident that it's working, I'll enroll you in it. You can assess it. And then we can determine, is it worthy of rolling out at scale to the rest of the Navy? So oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, oh, so and that's honestly, how you think about... Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. And, and, and we are huh. on the, the leading edge of technology implementation. I mean, we're doing things now with remote access and what we call uh, virtual desktop mechanisms and distributed people because, back to your question about the reserve force, I've got people in every state and territory. We are the prototypical distributed force. 
So for me to allow my people to be productive without having to fly them to a fleet concentration area, you know, if you live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I don't want to have to fly you to San Diego to do work. I want to give you the tools or the access so you can access the networks and the files and the training and the online learning management systems and things so you can be productive where you are, which saves time and money in transit. You know, I'm not suggesting there's not value in face-to-face interaction, right. but there are occasions where it is advantageous for us to leverage the technology so that we can keep people where they are and still be productive. If you were, if you were running a, a 60,000 person org, yeah. not in the military, but in right. like an enterprise business, how would you approach the hybrid workforce? Exactly as you described, it would be you, a hybrid workforce. You would yeah. do hybrid. Yeah, I would say. Would look, you have days where you wanted everybody in, or you, like how would you do? You know how it hand, I, I would I would talk to my COO and say, "You're going to be tracking it, so I don't want to make a mandate that we can't enforce. So what do you recommend? And then let's talk about what we want to see. I, I maintain that my people are evaluated on their outcomes and productivity." not necessarily where they do that. Part of that was born from my time at Wasabi because I dealt with so many creative folks who said, I came up with this idea in the shower or it was 12 o'clock at night. You know, I said, so, so certainly there's benefit in being around the water cooler together, but good ideas are, there's no monopoly of them in the office, you know? So anyway, and the other thing that I would offer on that front too is I don't think that you can develop culture via Zoom or Teams or online. I haven't figured it That's out. That's hard. Yeah, I you know? yeah. yeah. As much as we are intentional about relationships, exactly. both at Finding Mastery and any, anywhere we go, we're, we are helping others and we are ourselves a relationship-based organization that is developmentally minded. And we think people want to be in those environments yeah. and we have high standards. And um, we're as sloppy as it gets because we're trying to innovate. So our yeah. processes are not clean. They're changing all the time. And so that's one of our great tensions. Yeah. yeah, we're trying yeah. to figure things out. But that being said, it's like, you know, if I if I could wave a wand, I would want everybody um, kind of like geographically right around my house. And we all like we all live like within like a three, commune. five miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we're yeah. back to the 70s. <laughs> like it feels that way. Well, no, but like, so, but, like we're all kind of community minded. We're in the same yeah. place. We love that environment. We go to we we walk to work in a way that feels really good. And then we've got this great culture inside where it's spacious and what da, 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 da. Yeah, and that's not how it's working now. No, and, and so and I'm not naive. I mean, I understand some people. If if you said we're doing this entirely remotely, some people will take advantage of it. I'm not one of them. Um, my approach my, in mine general, is not like they'll. T- I, I guess I I actually do think sometimes about like I don't expect people to to grind the way I grind. I don't think it's necessarily healthy, and I, like I don't want to impose that on others. But I do th- like I I want. I want to be around people that are really passionate about the thing right. together. And if that's the case, we have to say, we have to watch another clock, which is that we have to make sure that they're punching out, quote unquote. Right. Not punching in. No, no, no. You know, exactly. So exactly. I do, I, you know, like th- that is a little bit of a concern from the hybrid, but like, I don't know how to be sophisticated I, enough to measure well, output. I mean, I just, I, I look at it from a cultural perspective as, okay, let's start on a basis of trust. Yeah, I, that's I, the I right foundation. Yeah, the way I say wait, it wait, is: Hold on, do you yeah. do you give trust or earn trust? I start from a basis of I assume that everyone is trust. Assume best intent. Exactly. Yeah, okay. positive intent. And and then I say though, in fact, when everyone checks in to my staff, I give them a little sheet. It's basically, what to know about working with John. Oh, you do. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and, cool. And and one of the things I say is, 
we all start from a basis of trust. If you lose it, it will be very hard to get back. So my, my point is, I will give you the benefit of the doubt, but if you take advantage of that or you lose my trust, you probably need to go yeah, somewhere else. So you give trust. And then when trust is broken, yeah. it, it, the water table goes to negative or does it go to like so low that it's... It, I mean, it depends on the, on the, on the nature of the, uh, yeah, right. of the break. Okay. But, but the point being... We start from a foundation of we're all trustworthy, we're all working together, mm -hmm. we you know assume positive intent. Um, but but as it relates to the telework thing, what, the reason I bring that up is I say, look, I trust you all. There are going to be times when your child has a bloody nose at school or needs to go to the doctor or you need to meet the cable guy or your car breaks down. Go take care of that. I, I'm not worried about you being productive and I'm not worried about you being gone. You know the work that you're responsible for and you're accountable for. And as long as you can do it, I don't care where you do it. It's like you treat them like adults. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, on the trust thing for one, one more bit, I think we all have this water table of trust and it's based on our genetic predisposition. It's based on how we're raised. It's based on the neighborhood we grew up in, the geographic location. And, um, I think we have this water table of trust that we come into relationships with. And we've got this idea, and this goes back all the way to Aristotle, like long time ago, there's three legs to trust, ability, benevolence, and authenticity. So if you can walk the walk and talk mm -hmm. the walk, like I should probably trust you. Like you can get, yeah. you can get kind of get it done. Are you in it for me as well as you are for you? The benevolence, are we in right. this together? Or are you trying to take all the chips off the table? Yeah. You know, is this just for your gain or is this, am I involved in your success as well? That's benevolence and authenticity. Are you going to show up consistently across conditions, bringing, being your very best? You can wobble on any of these, but if there's enough consistency across those three, like that's, I think trust has to be earned. So it's interesting that you you want to give it. I want to, I want to, I, I think I'm more afraid of being burned than, yeah. than maybe you are. And that probably has to speak to my childhood. And so, and, and I want to earn other people. I'm not saying that I shouldn't earn. You should give it to me, but you got to earn it. I'm no, not saying no, it that no. way. No, like, I understand. Let's, let's, let's get in the mud together yeah. and let's see if those three hang up, uh, hang together, even when it's messy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because one thing that we didn't talk about with my approach and this nature of the transformation we're taking was, is really, uh, comfort with risk or risk tolerance. And, and I've, as an entrepreneur, have been very comfortable with the fact that, hey, we're going to try some things that are not all going to work perfectly. And so even as it relates to the nature of trust, I will say, I will start. It, I, it is probably born with confidence that even if it goes south, I can solve it or I'm okay with it, you know? And so I have that actually. I have yeah. a high level of self-trust. Right. Like if it goes sideways, I have a deep, like, deep roots that I'll sort that out too. Yeah. yeah. So that way, like, I feel like you can bet on me. I'm going to bet on me that, and I don't say this arrogantly, like I feel like there's a privilege and an honor to be able to be in service in that way for, for people I care right. about. Right. And so you can bet on me because I got these deep roots of we'll, we'll keep going like <laughs> relentlessly, uncommonly, you know, like we'll keep, so you have a high self-trust. So how does that relate to, to your teammates? I think the sense is that it allows me to transfer that risk. Well, the way I describe it to them is I'm comfortable delegating to you and I will accept the risk. I want you oh, to feel cool. comfortable oh, trying cool. it. Yeah. And I'll provide the air cover. Oh, I like, like if that. this doesn't work, 
I'm the one who's going to say, hey, boss, we tried it. It didn't work. You know, but I don't, cool. I don't want you all to artificially filter things out that I might say, great idea, try it. So, so by saying, look, I'll transfer the risk to me. You try it, I'll accept the risk. That's cool. That's, I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. So when, when you think about building teams, you're giving trust, I want to say that, and you're right. taking the responsibility for the risk. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, right. especially as a leader, I would say, you know, the risk is re- resident with me. We always say, if it works beautifully, the credit goes to them. Yeah. This is like 101. Exactly. If, ever, if a microphone's yeah. ever in front of you yeah. and there's ever a moment. Like, exactly. And we fail miserably. It was my fault. I yeah, didn't resource right. them yeah. properly or train them properly. Yeah. I should have known better, you know, but, but it's true. I mean, that's how you get teams to trust you too, is to say, your failure is, it, you're never going to be critiqued for trying. What, what is the hardest thing? To be a leader, what is the hardest thing for you in your position as a leader? It's probably the the lack of downtime. <laughs> I just feel like we're on all the time. Now, yeah. some of that is borne by my own doing. I mean, I, I've I've said to my staff, this is a finite term for me. It's a four year job, and I said I can stand on my head for four years, and I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I want to say yes to everything. I want to do everything. I want to be everywhere. Because my force, as I mentioned, is all over the world. I want to go thank them for what they're doing, where they are. And so the hard part, though, is, look, there are days when at hour 20, I'm exhausted and tired. And it's like, oh, I got this phone call. I forgot. I got to congratulate this person for being selected for promotion or something. And, and I want to do that because those kinds of things are really energizing and fun. You know, like the, the one-to-one mentoring piece, I, I sprinkle throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, And it literally is someone every day, you know, either just a short email or a phone call or something, which is atypical, I think, for that's people of my that's rank. That's you know? for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And now one final word from our sponsors. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AG1. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG1. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. I, it's something I drink just about every day. And Part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. And like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning, which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. So what I do is I just fill up my shaker add some cold water, a scoop of AG1, and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up, and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or you know, I'm, I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a, there's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science-informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you wanna take ownership of your health, I wanna encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drink ag one dot com slash finding mastery. Again, that's drink ag one dot com slash finding.
Finding Mastery. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being, but it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the U.S. have harmful contaminants in tap water. That's why I'm really excited to introduce AquaTrue. Their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. It's incredible. I can literally taste the difference in my water. Plus, the filters are affordable and long-lasting. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once, I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener, you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code Finding Mastery at checkout. Again, that's AquaTrue.com. Enter the Finding Mastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. Let's jump right back into the conversation. Okay, so slight transition, mm-hmm. um, keeping with the reservist, and then I want to go to your family. Sure. Um, if we, it's a full circle here. I have a, um, I had a moment. This was maybe about a year ago. And somebody I really trust in business that's been helping me out a bunch. He's inside of Finding Mastery, and he says, "I got someone I want you to meet." And I trust his, I trust his judgment in in um, in so many ways. And, and I said, okay, great. And I'm excited. And he says, um, he's going to be ideal for everything we're trying to solve together. I said, great. He says, but there's a little thing that I want you to just to know about. Um, he can't be with you for about 40 days a year. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, yeah, like he's great. But about a month plus, he can't be with you. And so hold on, we're losing one twelfth of the time right. together. Like, well, does that come off the salary? Like, how does this work? Right. And he goes, no, uh-uh. he's a high performer. You'll see. I go, okay. So I had the meeting. I was like, oh, is there, he in this room right now? <laughs> <laughs> he's actually in the room. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I met him and I was like, um, yeah, there's something different about what he brings to the dance than somebody that is not a reservist. And I wonder if you could, without talking about him like he's mm-hmm. in the room, right, 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 right. <laughs> make it more yeah, awkward yeah, for yeah. him as he's heating up and blushing, wondering right. what is going to happen next. Um, so he's all in. It was, I yeah. think, one of the great decisions we've made for our company to to hit the ground running and to to kind of take us into a direction that I didn't even know was quite um, available so soon meaning that he right. works with speed and accuracy mm-hmm. um, in really cool ways. So what would you say um, reservists offer employers? Well, I'll tell you what. So Because that's a burden now. Oh, One twelfth oh, of their time is yeah. like a, as an entrepreneur. But, well, let me re- do you hire, let do me you hire ref- reservists? Oh, you better believe it. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. They, okay, good. That's but, my hopes. But let me reframe it too. So yeah. the, the weekend a month and two weeks a year, you know, again, unless you guys are working weekends, he's not really gone 30 days. I mean, he's gone mm-hmm. for two weeks. 
that's well, you know, the he annual has to, training. Like, pack his bags on a Friday okay. and he's got to right. like, okay. you know, like he's got to take a nap on Mondays. <laughs> right. no, I'm, okay. I'm totally joking. Okay. Okay. So, but the thought that it's uh, a 12th is probably a little high for the average. I mean, the minimum requirement is a weekend a month and two weeks a year. But, but I gave uh, a talk at South by Southwest about this. I mean, long before I was even a flag officer because I felt very passionate about veteran hiring. And the idea was, you know, we have pretty lofty terms that we talk about our core values in the Navy. It's, you know, honor, courage, and commitment. And in the Army, you may have heard, you know, duty, honor, country. And and you may hear those and go, yeah, okay, um, puffery words. I've heard them all before. My comment to you is they mean something. And they mean something to everyone who wears the uniform. So not only is there an appreciation for some of the soft skills they're going to have good hygiene and show up on time and be responsible and accountable. And, you know, what I learned by hiring a bunch of folks who were young, younger people straight out of college or second jobs out of college was developing culture is very hard. We take it for granted in the military because it's baked into what we do. Replicating that is really hard. When you hire veterans, they know that too. And they're the ones that are going to make it happen. Oh, that's a cool, th- right? They're yeah, the cult- ones. And culture eats strategy up. for lunch. Absolutely. Right. If you, if you follow that insight. Yeah. You know, like that's a cool statement alone. Yeah. I think you could almost stop there. I don't, I don't know if you're going to, but I think you could almost stop there in my mind. Yeah. It's like the first time I, I read this one research article that said those that practice mindfulness have an increased frequency in flow state, which is the most optimal sure. state we can be. Yeah. I'm not going to stop there, but it's like one of those moments where it's like, whoa, is that, can that be replicated? If so. Like that's a yeah. significant finding. So yeah. what I just heard you say is those that come from cultures or organizations that value culture, you're going to get somebody in your organization that understands the value of culture. I, as I say, do you want to be a consumer of culture or a creator of culture? Oh, how about it? Yeah. yeah. So those yeah. folks are going to come in and say, hey, I couldn't help but notice we never do uh, ball games together. Why don't we get together once a month that's and a do creator. something outside? You know? What's a consumer? Yeah. Consumers like, hey, I'm sitting here. We never do anything fun. Man. You know, hey, are you a baby bird waiting for stuff to fall in your mouth? Oh, my God. You know, or that. yeah. Or are you going to be someone, you know, I always say, create no. the culture you want to be a part of. We can't have baby birds. We can't have <laughs> this. It's so That's good. Right. Oh, no. my God. All right. All right. So if there was a uh, an equally weighted fast follow on creators of culture, what would be a second fast follow for why hire a reservist? Uh, look. Education, training, certification. The Navy is a very technical service. I mean, in all likelihood, whether you're talking officer and enlisted, you're going to get someone with some pretty incredible competency that walks in the door. So, you know, you are looking for something specific. This is an example where I would say I hire based on potential, not on experience that's what we entirely. Do as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of those things where I would say you have demonstrated teamwork. You've been part of, a, of either a mission or a unit that has a function. Where did you fit in? What was your role? And and what does that look like as you need it? I mean, there's a million ways that I think you benefit. And some of it is just soft skills. Again, accountability and responsibility. It's hard to teach that to young kids. It's easy if someone walks in the door saying, I was a platoon sergeant and I was responsible for folks on missions in Afghanistan. Now, not everyone's going to be, you know, a bronze star wearing a uh, war hero, but but even in peacetime, the responsibilities for safety and training are pretty, uh, pretty onerous. So anyway, those things translate, I think. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Now, if we kind of fold back around before we get to family is command and control mm-hmm. this idea of like top down leadership. 
I don't want to build an organization that way. And that is the organizations that, that you all have found to be significant in um, for all the reasons that sure. the military and the Navy is is what it is. Can you can you help me think about um, if we could wave a wand mm-hmm. and we're a team of, let's say, a couple hundred to a couple thousand, could you imagine a different way of doing it? Or does this seem like, listen, I've been swing, swimming in this water for so long, I, I know the the assets and the power of top down, and I don't want, yeah. I don't even want to entertain another way. Well, first, I would say the military has what we call Napoleonic uh, organization codes. So you know, and N for Navy, you know, N one is manpower and personnel, and two is intelligence, three is operations, you know, four is logistics, five is plans, et cetera, six communication, seven is uh, training. So, and that's they're called Napoleonic codes because he came up with it. So we're a couple hundred years in run on this stuff. And uh, are we ready for evaluation? I, I think so. I mean, part of this is the way we really operate today is we have Napoleonic codes for administrative functions, but then we have matrix organizations for operational functions. Because you need to know, if I need new yellow stickies, who do I go to? You know, you need a supply officer that's going to handle that for you. That's different than launch the uh, alert five strike, you know? So, so anyway, we see differences in the way we're organized. In many cases, we're dealing with joint task forces, which are uh, multi-service and, uh, and multi-nation. So it's not enough for us to roll in and go, hey, here's how the US Navy operates, you know, because the Italians and the French and the Germans and the Brits are gonna say, we do it differently. Um, so, so we all take a little bit from one another, particularly in, in NATO and joint environments too. Um, back to your real question, I've always looked at how many direct reports am I comfortable with? And so I, I as a civilian C-suite uh, executive, say I want as flat an organization as I can possibly manage. I couldn't do it with a couple thousand, but I would certainly say I want to have no more than 10 just because I don't feel that I could really give the attention to those 10 and the functions that I'm assigning to them that I want to be really engaged with. Do you feel like a teammate across those 10? Absolutely. Or do you yeah. feel like you do? Yeah. It's not like you're my team and like I'm part of your team. I, I just have a different job. I, I have a different responsibility. I feel that way. I'm sure my staff would say, yeah, but he's not. But, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I look, I want to be involved. I also recognize the need for my folks, to, for them to spread their wings. If I'm there... Even when I say, okay, we're all, you know, parking rank at the door. This is a working session. Roll your sleeves up. I just know if I'm in the room that everyone defers to me and I, and I don't want them to necessarily. So yeah. sometimes the best I can do is back to your question about style. We refer to something called mission command, which is a, a decentralized approach where we say, here's the mission we're trying to accomplish. If everybody's good with that, I'll get out of the way and you all figure it out, and then tell me what you need from me to help. Meaning, I'm not going to give you instruction manual for every decision you're going to make. I trust you, and and you're responsible for it. We all agree that we are laddering up to this mission, and you each have a role and function, and I'm standing by to support. Next time you come back to me, tell me either what you need or that you're done. I love that. Yeah. I love I it fits so much more in an entrepreneurial approach for me right. than, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I mean, understand. It's, it's, it's the antithesis of micromanagement. I, yeah. And again, it's, right. it is predicated on a couple of things. One is absolute trust. You know, you have to be confident. I have to be, as a leader, confident that my people understand what, when we say the mission, 
Do we all have a shared understanding of what it is we're trying to accomplish? Two, do I have the trust that they can do it? Are they equipped? Are they capable? Are they trained? You know, is it possible for them to do what I'm asking of them? They may say, I got it, boss, I'm good, which may be false bravado if I go, really, how are you going to do that? You don't even have any of the equipment you need. So, so the trust piece is important. And then the other thing that I like to do is take my subordinate commanders together frequently to have conversations almost like this off the record where, I mean, I have a monthly session with my, we call them echelon three commanders, where, where we have an hour, just us, no one else on the line, where, where we talk about, hey, what's going on in your life? What, what's happening? What's making your head hurt? What can I help you with? Anything I should know? And, and it's really for me to say, you guys haven't heard this yet, but this is coming down the pipe. I'm about to announce this new policy or something else that's going to impact you all. Or if, hey, the three of us uh, or the three of you talked about this and gave me a recommendation, I, I appreciate your input, but we're doing something different. I want you to know why. Because that, you know, this originated with Horatio Nelson, you know, Lord Nelson the, of the British Navy, so that his commanders could operate in his absence. I said, if we talk enough, then you know where my head is and you know is how Is this I'm where responding. commander's intent came from? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Is your intent clear for your direct reports? I, I sure hope so. And I try very hard to make and sure how, that it is. How do, you, how do you get to clarity? So we have a number of mechanisms where we release executive orders. They call it XORD. Um, I've, I've put out a number of directives that say, here's what we're doing. You know, like, here's what we need to be ready to do by 2025. Here's what we have to be ready to do by 2027. I published uh, a document called Battle Orders 2032, which is assuming we do everything in the fighting instructions that I published, here's what the world will look like when it's all done. Whoa. You know, and, and the reason I did that was I got feedback. You know, we had 130 wow. tasks we were, you know, we were attacking with, with uh, vigor. And folks said, I, I get the change. I just don't see how they all tie together. Oh, and I said, cool. okay, so I'm going to write this, this separate document that says, here's the glimpse of the future that's in my head when we're doing all this stuff. So commander's intent for me, you know, I think about leader's intent, not obviously not commander's right. intent in the civilian world, but it feels like what you just outlined is here's the mission or here's the objectives that we're going right. after. Is, I think there's another component that gets confusing for me, which is how to operate when things break down. Yeah. So that that type of intent on decision making, choice making, what what is in and what is out for being able to accomplish it when the system goes sideways, we're in the messy right. middle. How do you get clarity on that? Because it, now you're outside of an SOP, a standard operating sure. you know, sure. procedure. You're 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 in the the unfolding unknown. Yeah. So how do you I get mean, there's, intent there's there? There's so many potential variables uh, that I could attack in the answer, but but what I would say is. Depending on the severity of the decision point, there are many things where I would say you are authorized to make these decisions. In, in some cases, the way we work it is you can say yes to everything, but only I can say no. So imagine if a four-star admiral comes to the reserve force and says, I need something. I don't want one of my lieutenant commanders to say, no, admiral. You know? Right. So, so I say, you want to say yes? No problem. I reserve the right to say no. Um, I mean, that's one example. But if you're describing something that is operational mission and things are going sideways, that's a different story. You know, in some cases, we're not subject to debate. We're kind of taking direction from the leader and 
we'll talk about it when the mission's over, but right now you need to move. Um, you know, this isn't a good time for us to have a conversation about why. So you, so you get through, you write, that's a forcing function for you right. to become clear and translate that, those ideas. Writing is one of those. Right. And then how do you get clarity? Like yourself? So, um, well, I mean, I have the benefit of just uh, drinking from a fire hose of policy documents and uh, future state uh, discussions. And, you know, we're doing a force design review for the Navy of 2045. And, you know, as, as we're reading all this stuff, I, my reaction, of course, is what's the reserve inject on this? And what do I need to be thinking today? So that by 2045, we are ready to deliver what's being committed to. Why 2045? Um, it's, it's, it's even mind blowing. I don't, I don't think yeah. in those terms, which is no, really no. Cool. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we do a 30 year shipbuilding plan, you know, and that's because one, you know, like aircraft carriers, it takes between five and six years to build one. So you need to commit. How long early. does it take China to build one? Um, well, they're building their third. It will probably take them about five. But uh, but th so they they bought one from Russia, okay. and then they built one that was a copy of that. So the, the first two are, you know, kind of B minus uh, craft. The third one they're building is equivalent to our Nimitz class. So that, that's a legit uh, carrier. But, but it's still going to be a couple of years. Okay. But yeah. in general, they can produce faster than we can. Well, they've got more yards. So their capacity is greater. I, I mean, at some point, this is one of those things where I'd say, you know, you can't put nine ladies in a room and make a baby in one month. Got so it. so even if, um, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. So they have more shipyards. So they could build more ships simultaneously it doesn't mean that they can build one ship faster i see yeah i see how that works okay it's still important variable yeah that, that oh, capacity. Yeah. capacity okay Definitely. so family oh yes um the mustin family like <laughs> like we, we hinted on the legacy the generational legacy that you have did when you were growing up and maybe even now do you feel that there's a shadow or a spotlight that creates a tension for you or is this the handoff that they given to you is like a, I'm, I'm running faster than I ever could on my own. And it's more um, generative in that way. I always thought, um, well, first as a young man, I mean, I was really fortunate that my grandfather who was a career Naval officer, Naval Academy graduate was still alive uh, through through my early entry into the Navy. So my high school, World World college, uh, he was a World War II veteran, yeah. Um, and and his stories were legendary. So part of what I remember was, you know, sitting around the table at uh, Thanksgiving or cocktail parties, and his friends would come to these parties, and I was just a very eager listener when they were recounting these stories of heroism in World War II and the Pacific, and Granddad was telling the story of his ship in a night battle that sunk and you know, General Condon, who was the guy that taught me how to play golf, who, you know, was a, a running mate of a guy named Pappy Boeington. I don't know if you ever saw Baba Black Sheep, but uh, legendary Marine aviator. And so these folks were talking about what they did. And I just always thought I, I would be honored to be a part of that kind of conversation. And then when I would talk to my friends or be at my friends, families, and and I, I didn't see conversations like that, you know. And so then... Then I would notice my father and his friends who were Vietnam and Cold War era folks, same kind of stories. There we were in the Kola Peninsula looking down the throat of Russians and, you know, and I thought this is some pretty heady real world stuff. And it's, um, and I, and I'm just fortunate to be privy to this. I mean, one time when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy, and this is a funny story that the house I live in now 
is the house that my parents lived in. When, and so it's quarters at the Washington Navy Yard, but it's the same quarters that I lived in when I was a midshipman. Um, but I came home unannounced one time and I walked in, basically opened up the door. I was like, hey, mom, dad, I'm home. And I look in the living room and my father is there in uniform, standing with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and two folks with a big chart on our living room sofa pointing to something. And 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 I walked in, I was like, um, am I interrupting? <laughs> As they kind of drop a curtain over the chart, you yeah, know? Yeah, and I said, yeah. yeah, I'll get out of it okay. right now. Mm -hmm. but, but so I saw this and, and on one hand kind of took it for granted. And I thought, hey, this is neat. You know, our parents, our grandparents, parents, uncle, great grandparents, we serve and that's what we do. At, but it's at the high, you're being humble. It's at the highest level. I mean, it's a family of vice admirals. Right, admirals. well, they, so they were career uh, career officers. And, right. and so I remember but at the highest level. Well, I mean, they were, yeah, they were fortunate to, <laughs> to, to continue to serve. I mean, uh, grandfather they had was, some great job. Great grandfather was his tag he passed away as a captain. Yeah. So he was the one, yeah, they called him the father of naval aviation. So, so is this a spotlight or is this a shadow that, and I mean, I was always very proud. Yeah. So that you proud. didn't, you never felt, so it's not shadow. You weren't operating the shadows of legends. Well, of tall I mean, trees. I would. I don't typically volunteer this. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, my sense was because of that. I don't know what everyone thinks, but my assumption is they're going to think this guy thinks he's got uh, an in, or he's not going to have to work as hard. You know, I went to the Naval Academy, and as a plebe, as soon as people found out, oh wait a minute, your dad's an admiral. Okay. It's not good to be a plebe at the Naval Academy with when your father's an admiral because everyone's what says, is plebe? Uh, freshman. Okay. Freshman. And so my view was always, you know what? I'm going to try that much harder, and I'm just going to be the best, and then there won't be any discussion. So no one will have to worry about, okay, you know, did someone cut him slack or not? Uh, my view was, let's just make it so apparent that hey, I was selected based on performance. He gets after it. Right. End of sentence. Right. Yeah. So okay. And you didn't feel the heat from that spotlight. Like, I have to be great because of I may the be, legacy. I, I may have felt some of that. Um, I mean, let's put it this way. I, I want to earn it. And and I want to set a good example for my kids. Yeah, so that's what you did is like you you took you took back your control by saying, what, what can I do here? I can apply myself to my fullest. Right. And now I'm guiding the way ex I experienced me being me in this world of people that I don't care how they're thinking about me as much as I care about how I'm applying myself. Absolutely. Maybe that's the clarity yeah. I was looking for. And, and, and honestly, I, I, I think there's going to be a time when I'm dead and buried and, and I would love for people to speak of me the same way they speak of my father and grandfather. Oh, that's cool. What do you hope they say? Um, made a difference. You know, I say like the greatest legacy we're going to leave is our children and the people that we trained. You know, I'll have, 20 years of officers and sailors that uh, that have been part of my staffs and commands that will be doing great things way after I'm gone. And and if they continue to do great things, then that's probably the best reflection of my contribution. Vice Admiral John Mustin, <laughs> thank you so much for like an absolute masterclass in leadership and thoughtfulness and clarity of idea and thinking about how to do it at scale. So Thank you for coming through to the Mastery Lab today. It's my honor, and I am so excited to have met you. And actually, as I said, for uh, having been a like long, year-long listener or years-long listener, uh, thrilled to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, thanks.
All right. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no-cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday. Punch over to findingmastery.com slash newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously. And the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com slash sponsors. And remember, no one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend, and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well, think well, and keep exploring.